so some of us are asking, how does God view me? We're tempted and we're scared. What does God think of me as someone who is tempted? How does he feel about me? Secondly, some of us are thinking, I've been struggling with this temptation for years. Does that mean Jesus has failed? Does that mean the cross isn't powerful? I mean, surely Jesus is victorious. Will I ever get through this temptation? And thirdly, some of us may be in a season of temptation just going, how do I get through this? What is the way? How do I deal with temptation? Well, by God's grace, I hope this morning in our time together to be able to answer those three questions. How does God feel about your temptation? What does this say about the cross? And how practically do we deal with temptation? We're going to do it from the passage that's been read for us. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. We're going slowly through the Gospel of Matthew. And what I want to do today is to do two things. I want us to look and learn. So we're going to look at the passage and we're going to look fresh at this very well-known passage. And then we're going to learn from the passage. We're going to apply it to our own lives and our own situations. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the one who was tempted, the new Adam, the new Israel, the one who represents you. And the second thing we're going to do is we're going to learn from the one who was tempted. We're going to learn about sympathy, victory and what we can copy. So firstly then, let's look at the one who is tempted, the new Adam, Israel and you. Now verse 1 is important, it begins with then, then. It's a linking word which means we need to take note of what happened in chapter 3. If you remember in chapter 3, Jesus was baptised. And if you remember when we looked at it, John the Baptist didn't want to baptise Jesus because he kind of said, well Jesus, you don't need to be baptised because you don't need to repent. Jesus, you should baptise me because I'm a sinner, you're not. And what we learned was that when Jesus was being baptised, he'd been baptised not because he needed to repent, but because he wanted to represent. Jesus has come to live in our place, to be the new Adam, to be the new Israel, to be the new us. And so when he is baptised and he represents us, really showing that he is alongside us, our brother, then the voice of the Father comes from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. There is a declaration of the identity of Jesus. And so the Spirit descends on Jesus so that he is now the Spirit-filled Son who is on a mission. And as a result of that, verse 1 of chapter 4, so then Jesus is led into the wilderness by, I don't know if you noticed it, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. And he's led into the wilderness to be tempted. Now here's a question, why is God doing this? Why is God tempting Jesus? Well, there's a few important things that are happening here. Jesus is now reliving or redoing what Adam did, the first kind of federal head, the first kind of person representing the world. In a sense, this um, temptation is a reliving of the Garden of Eden. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, um, you know, Satan came and said, did God really say? And really these temptations are going to be Satan coming to Jesus and saying, did God really say? And what was it? This is my son whom I love. Did God really say that? And so Jesus is now coming to be the new Adam because everybody else born after Adam is in Adam. And so now we need a new Adam that everybody who is born into doesn't have death, but life. But secondly, Jesus is also succeeding where Israel failed. 
So it's in the wilderness, it's 40 days, reminiscent of 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. All of Jesus' quote and his answers are going to come from Deuteronomy, the wilderness book. And the temptations represent really some of the temptations and failings that Israel went through. So here is the true Son of God, like Israel was the Son of God, but now Jesus is going to, f- going to succeed where Israel failed. But as well, thirdly, Jesus is representing you and me. He is here as us. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies for us. But when he lives, he lives for us too. He is going to do something that we could never do. And so here he comes. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is tempted? Can Jesus be tempted? What does it mean that God tempts us? The word tempt and tempted in the Bible can have a couple of different meanings, dependent on who's saying it and what the context is. But in a nutshell, God doesn't tempt people to sin. God doesn't do that. Rather, God allows Satan to tempt us as a test. Now, the test isn't like an entry requirement test. It isn't like, here's a test, get this test, and I love you. Rather, this is a test, like a test to prove the authenticity, like with Job in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is allowing, uh, sorry, his father is allowing Jesus to be tempted so that his faith can be tested, that is, proved. So Jesus has said he's going to represent us. Here's the test. Can he represent us? Jesus is now going on a mission. Here's the test. Can Jesus succeed? And so God's testing, perhaps a better word, is a positive thing. It's always about proving and building our faith. Whereas Satan, when he tempts us, it's always about tearing us down, destroying us. And so temptation in the Bible can either be from God, which is one to improve and prove our faith, or it can be from Satan, which is to expose our weakness and trap us. So Satan is coming in here. He wants to expose any weakness he can find and trap Jesus. But God is doing it because he knows, actually, Jesus as the spirit-filled man is not going to fail. So that means, interestingly, that to be tempted is not to sin. It's very important to understand that. To be tempted is not to sin. It's when you succumb to temptation. That's when you sin. So when exactly does temptation become a sin? Well, J.I. Packer, I think, puts it well when he says this. Temptation becomes sin only when and as the suggestion of evil is accepted and yielded. So to be tempted isn't a sin. But if you stop and go, okay, I'll do it. That is when you sin. So the classic example is lust. So when does looking at a member of the opposite sex that you're not married to, um, that you're attracted to, become sinful? Well, in effect, it must be that second look when you dwell on something uh, that isn't right. So to see something um, is not sinful. It's what you do with what you see. Ultimately, it's an issue of the heart and the will. And so he goes in to be... Uh, tempted. And so what Satan is going to do, what the devil's going to do here, is he's going to try and trap Jesus and push him off mission. Jesus has come to represent us. That's what we saw in the baptism. That's what we saw in all the Christmas nativity readings. Here is the one who's going to save the day, save the people from their sin. And so Satan is going to try and stop him. So the way he's going to try and get Jesus off mission is by going after his identity. And so what he's going to do is say, if you're the son of God, and look, he's not doubting whether Jesus is the son of God. He knows Jesus is the son of God. And he's not even going to try and get Jesus to doubt if he's the son of God, because Jesus knows he's the son of God. Rather, he's going to play in it. And he's going to say, look, if you're the son of God, 
If you're the Son of God, surely this isn't the way to be living. If you're the Son of God, surely you shouldn't be starving. If you're the Son of God, surely you shouldn't be having to die on a cross. If you're the Son of God, this is how you should be. And he's going to try and distort his identity. Now, what's going on here again? It's reliving the garden. It's reliving Israel. It's all about, did God really say? And and really, temptation, friends, is about questioning God and questioning what he says. Did God really say you can't enjoy alcohol and get a little tipsy? Did God really say you have to forgive everyone? I mean, didn't he only mean those who forgive you first? Or did God really say that you couldn't enjoy a little harmless gossip? I thought he only spoke against malicious gossip. Very often temptation comes in questioning the rules, questioning God. And so we need to be careful with it. And so Satan comes and he tempts him and the three temptations come to this. And he says, look, verse three and four, uh, we see the temptation comes and he says, look, you know, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, we know Jesus can make multiple loaves of bread. We're going to see those mi- miracles. But what he's getting him to do here is to give up this, the, 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 um, the, the, the fasting, actually to serve himself. But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as an offering for others. That's the first thing um, that he does. Uh, The second thing that he does in verses uh, 5 to 8 is it says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the highest point, and said, Look, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in his hands. Now, this is very interesting. Look, Jesus, why don't you just test God? Why don't you just test God? Just to make sure he's going to look after you. This is the classic sin of the Israelites, isn't it? Constantly the Israelites wanted to test God. Does God really care? Does God really love? And really, this kind of temptation Satan is pushing Jesus to is the temptation of the easy life. You don't need to die. You don't need to suffer. You're the son of God. You don't need to do these things. And so he comes. You know, I think many of our temptations are temptations of an easy life, aren't they? They're a temptation of an easy life. Don't share your faith and face flack. Stay quiet. That's a better witness. Or don't get up 15 minutes earlier and spend time alone with God. Pray in bed. And if you fall asleep, that's God's way of telling you that you need rest. Or don't sort out that conflict. Brush it under the carpet. It'll go away. I wonder, have you chosen the easy route lately? Do you realise what you're doing? You're succumbing to temptation. We need to be careful of Satan in all of this. Um, This is what Peter says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the other thing that promises, uh, sorry, the other thing that temptation does, um, friends, is temptation offers things it can't give. It promises things it can't deliver. And so uh, if you look down, um, he says in verse 7, sorry, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and then the splendor and said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Satan's trying to bluff him. He's trying to say, if you follow me, if you take the easy route, then actually I will give you everything. And you know, sin, temptation always gives you or promises to give you what it cannot deliver. You know, the person who goes off and has the affair, uh, they may have that moment of excitement, 
but the devastation and destruction that follows is horrendous. You know, gossip. The reason we gossip is because we want to be like God. We want to know everything. We want to be omniscient and we want to be omnipotent, all-powerful. We want to have power. We know words and knowledge is power. And you know what? Very often with gossip, uh, it promises that you're going to know everything and you're going to be the person at the centre of everything. And you know what? Very often it turns on you because the people who are willing to listen to your gossip will ultimately gossip about you. And so very often it promises so much but offers so little. We need to be so careful. And, and Jesus faces all of these temptations, but in each one, he returns to the word of God and says, no, I will not test God. I will not twist scripture. I will not take the easy way out. I am the son of God, and the son of God is on a mission, and you will not stop me. And so you go through the temptation, as you know, and at the end, he beats Satan. He is the victor. He doesn't give in. He doesn't sin. And he goes and the angels come and they attend him and he is cared for. So we've looked at the passage just briefly. Let's learn from it now. Here's the second thing I want to do. Let's learn from it. Let's learn from the one who was tempted. I want to tell you three amazing things that are true for us because Jesus was tempted. Number one. Because Jesus was tempted, we now have a sympathiser. We now have a sympathiser. So listen to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. If you're struggling this morning, and if you're being tempted, don't think in terms of shame, think in terms of sympathy. Think in terms of sympathy. The Lord loves you. The Father has given his Son for you. The Son has died for you. The Spirit now lives within you. And Jesus sympathises. He knows what it is to be tempted. Do you believe that? You see, when Jesus was tempted, he didn't give in, which means he faced even greater temptation. Because if you think of pressure coming down on a bridge... The bridge that faces the most pressure is the bridge that doesn't collapse. If a bridge collapses under five tons, it's only experienced five tons of pressure. But if a bridge takes 10 tons, 15 tons, 20 tons, it's experiencing more pressure, more pressure. Jesus experienced a personal assault of Satan repeatedly in 40 days of fasting. Pressure, pressure, pressure. There is no sin, no pressure that you are facing that the Lord Jesus does not understand, and therefore he sympathises. If you are being tempted, if you're tempted to give up your faith, tempted to lust, tempted to spend too much, tempted to gossip, tempted to hide your faith, tempted to do something illegal, tempted to be a bitter old person, tempted to tell gossip, tempted to try and derail the mission of the church, if you're tempted to do those things, Actually, you have a great high priest who is able to sympathise. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You expect me to say he's going to get you. But he gets you. He understands. He loves you. He cares for you. You see, when you're tempted, Satan wants you to believe 
that you're now cut off from God. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe in the very nature of being tempted and in the very act of being tempted, you were therefore struck off from God and there's only anger. And once you think that, you get shame and you walk away. But when you realise Jesus is your sympathiser, when you get tempted, you say, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Saviour, draw close to me. Spirit, give me strength. We have a sympathiser. Brother, sister, friend, if you're on the edge of giving in, don't. Jesus is your sympathiser. He loves you. You don't have to give in. Because, you see, the second thing we learn from this is not only do we have a sympathiser, not only is Jesus our sympathy, but Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our victory. He did all of this for us. He was tempted to sin, yet was without sin. He beat Satan. So in a sense, I love the way Glenn Scrivener puts this. Glenn Scrivener says he is the new Adam representing us. He's the new Israel representing us. But he said also he is the new David. Do you remember David and Goliath? When David beat Goliath, the Israelites beat Goliath. The whole point is we're not David, we're the Israelites. And here's the thing, when Jesus beat Satan, we beat Satan because we're in Jesus. This means that because Jesus has lived the perfect life and has been able to beat Satan, and, and look, Satan would come back and repeatedly attack him on these fronts, even using Jesus' friends like Peter to try and get him to take an easy life and not go to the cross. Because Jesus has beaten Satan in all of this and then died on the cross and paid the price for our sins and risen victorious, that means now that we have been freed from the power of sin. We've been freed from it. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you, you can say no to sin. You don't have to say yes. It is not a fate to complete. When you're tempted, you do not have to sin because Jesus is your victory and he has beaten Satan and he's given you your, his spirit and you are now the spirit-filled person just as Christ was the spirit-filled man. You need to understand that. Jesus didn't beat Satan because he was the son of God, divine, and therefore couldn't sin. Don't think of it like that. Jesus was fully human and beat Satan because he was spirit-filled. And because you're spirit-filled and you live in the cross, you can say no to sin. So, brothers, sisters, you do not have to gossip. You do not have to lust. You do not have to get angry. You do not have to overspend. You do not have to put your identity in your career. You do not have to do any of that. You can say no. It's not to say that's not hard. It's not to say you won't fall. But you can say no. And as one Bible commentator says this, Jesus is our champion defeating Satan without our help. He's also our example, showing us how to defeat Satan. He is our sympathiser, he is our victory, and he's someone we can copy. He is our example. Look, friends, our time is nearly gone. But you know this, don't you? How do we follow the example of Jesus in the wilderness? Three things, very simply. Number one, know you're a child of God know your identity. Satan attacks us on our identity. When we're tempted, he says, this is who you are. This is what you need. When we're tempted, we need to go, no, no, no. This is who I am, a child of God. And this is what I need, all that God has. We need to know our identity. Do not be tempted to be a person who thinks you are less than a truly loved child of God. So know your identity. Secondly, be filled with the Spirit. He has just been filled with the Spirit and he's been led by the Spirit. We need to realise that Jesus doesn't give us an example and say, off you go, there you do it. 
No, no, Jesus by his spirit is with us. And we need to acknowledge that. And so we need to be a people who know that at the point of conversion, the Holy Spirit came to live and dwell in us. And we need to be a people who seek the power of the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, thirdly and finally, we know who we are. We know we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we have the sword of the Spirit. At each and every point, Jesus comes back to the Bible. The Word. This is what we live on. This is what we stand on. And actually, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the sword of the Spirit. Drink deeply of this. This is your greatest weapon against Christ. Is the sword of the Spirit applying the truth of salvation for your helmet and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace. All of the armour comes from the truth in you. So if you're tempted and you're struggling, how does God feel about you? He sympathises. Does it mean that God doesn't, doesn't, isn't victorious? No, no, no. Jesus has won. Jesus is victorious. And thirdly, how do you get through it? Realise who you are in Christ. Trust in him. Be filled with his spirit. And use the sword of the spirit. Friends, we can say no. The word of God says. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this passage. Father, we thank you for this technology that allows us to be together this morning. Father, would you help us to see more of Christ, to see who we are in him, and to live for him, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.